All right, last week, anybody remember what we talked about? Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. That was like uh, three or four weeks ago, I think. Last week was Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 6. So we talked last... Guys, I feel like everyone's talking. Last week we talked about manna. You guys remember that conversation? How, how they were supposed to gather it every day. Ladies. They're supposed to gather the manna every day. What was the main application takeaway from that? Does anybody remember? Kind of. That's That was true of the manna. But what was the application? How are you supposed to apply that in your life? You don't collect manna. Yes. Read your Bible. How often should you read your Bible? Every day. And if you don't read it one day, then you miss out on what God had for you that day. Just like if the children of Israel didn't collect manna one day, then they missed out on manna that day. What's up, dude? He is, yeah. I like his vest. It's very uh, Simba. Alright, so Joshua chapter 6. So, this is what we have been building towards since we started our study of Joshua. Anybody remember when we started our study? I could not remember, so I had to go back and look. Anybody have any idea when we started our study? Huh? Six weeks ago? Anybody else have a guess? When did we start our Joshua study? Jackson. Emma. Yes, both of them. It was November the 4th. It's been like three and a half, almost four months of going through Joshua. And we're only on chapter 6, you guys. We're just starting it. So we'll be in Joshua 6 for probably two weeks. Maybe three. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. So, uh, but we've been building to Joshua chapter 6 since we started. This is the story most of you guys are probably familiar with, or at least partially familiar with. If you know anything about the story of Joshua before we started studying it, uh, this would probably be the chapter that you know about. This is the walls of Jericho. If you guys have seen VeggieTales, they have an episode on this. Um, but this is where the nation of Israel as a, as a nation has been working towards for like the whole 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, they've been working towards this moment. They've been waiting to get into the promised land, which they did a, a couple chapters ago. And now uh, they're finally getting ready to uh, have their first battle in the promised land as they are going to spend the next couple of years battling. And uh, this was the first one. And so <clears throat> they, they've got their new leader in place, uh, who is Joshua. They've, got, they've seen God uh, confirm that he is the leader. Uh, they've seen God do miraculous things like crossing the Jordan River. Uh, they've submitted to God. Remember last uh, two weeks ago we talked about um, how they had not been they had not been circumcising their their children or their sons, and so uh, God is a God of order, and so they got that in place. They they were obedient to the Lord in that. Um, they've been following Joshua. They've been they've been treating him as they treated Joshua, or uh, as they treated Moses rather. Um, God stopped in the last chapter. God stopped feeding them, right? God stopped feeding them the manna. So just like when you're, when you're babies, right, you rely fully on your parents to feed you. But as you get a little bit older, you start to be able to like make your own lunch, right? Or like feed yourself. And so the nation of Israel had been being fed by God for 40 years as they went through the wilderness. And now they've gotten to the point where they're, they're, supposed to be able to feed themselves. They are mature enough 
to be able to feed themselves. They're in the promised land and God has stopped feeding them. And uh, now it's up to them to take care of it. And so they, we've seen them kind of mature and, and get ready for uh, this first battle for a long time. And, and even if you didn't pay attention to all the steps along the way, just looking back from here, you can see all the things that God did to get them ready and all the things that they did to get ready uh, to be where they are. And so uh, there's a lot of applications from that that we can get in our own life. Um, I'm not going to reteach the last several lessons that we've been teaching, but um, when you enter into a situation in life and you're prepared spiritually, you're prepared physically, um, you've been doing the right things to get prepared, uh, things are going to be a lot easier. You know, like knowing that you're like when you enter into like a missions trip or like when we go to camp, like. When I know that I've, I've, I'm prayed up, like I'm, I'm as prepared uh, as far as prayer goes as I can be. I know that like, um, I, you know, I've been walking with the Lord, like I'm ready for, um, you know, camp or a missions trip or, um, you know, just some event in my life. Like when I know that I've done all the things that I can do to get ready for that, um, there's, there's like, there's power in that and there's peace in that. And so the nation of Israel has done all the things that they can do to get ready for it, right? They, they are as ready as they are ever going to be uh, to take on the opposition. Um, but that doesn't always mean that everything's going to go exactly according to plan. Just because just you're as ready as you can be, just, to, just because you're spiritually prepared, just because you're prayed up, just because you know that God is with you, it doesn't mean that we know exactly how things are going to go. We don't know exactly how things are always going to end up. Um, and that's where Israel finds themselves. They... They, they don't know exactly what's going to happen, right? They know that God's with them. They know that they're supposed to be going in and conquering. Uh, but we're going to see here in just a minute that, uh, you know, God doesn't give them like the conventional uh, military strategy that maybe they were ready for. Or they were uh, thinking that they were going to have. God kind of does something a little bit unconventional. So uh, we're going to read the first 16 verses of Joshua chapter 6. This is going to get us a uh, good start on this story of uh of the battle of jericho so um okay so the way the the way the chapter first starts out the first verse when i read that uh i immediately thought of, i don't know if you, any of you guys ever watch any heist movies or anything like that like at the beginning of a heist movie after they like gather their crew of of people then there's always like they kind of talk about okay we're gonna break into this bank or this vault or we're gonna steal this painting or this jewelry or whatever and then they talk about how like impossible it's going to be right it's, there's some kind of state-of-the-art security no one's ever broken into it you can't hack into it you got to be on site somehow there's all these like hoops that they know they're gonna have to jump through and um you know it, it always seems like impossible and then they start laying out the plan they start working out all the details and then you know usually it works out um but during the super bowl i one of the, my favorite uh commercials was the kung fu panda 4 trailer did you guys all see that Okay. So I didn't know they were coming out with the fourth one, but I've been excited to watch it since it came out. So I was thinking about that, and if you, have all of you guys seen Kung Fu Panda, the first one? Yeah. Okay, so you guys probably seen the scene before, but this reminded me of the way this starts out. The way that this chapter starts out says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Okay, so God presents... Joshua with the problem, right? Or we are presented with the problem. Jericho is sealed up. Okay. Jericho was a big walled city. If you remember when the, uh, the 12 spies way back in numbers, 
when they went in and spied out the land of Canaan, they came back and they said, there's giants in the land and they dwell in what? You guys remember what they were dwelling in? What the Walled. spies said? Yeah, walled cities. Okay, They were worried that they weren't going to be able to break into these walled cities. They're like, there's giants. They live in these fortified cities. Um, we, there's not a way that we can go in and conquer this land. And so God shows Joshua, hey, here's Jericho, this giant walled city. Okay. It looks impossible. How are we going to ever get in there? We're, you know, we don't have, you know, tanks or helicopters or there's no way for us to get over those walls. And so he shows them this problem and it's all, the city's all sealed up. No one's coming in. No one's getting out. Like it's going to be really difficult. Like when you first look at it on the surface, the problem looks, um, insurmountable. Okay. So I want you guys to watch this scene. This, uh, is, I don't know, Tai Long, is that how you say his name? Yeah, no. Tai Long. Okay. All right, so I thought, I thought of that scene um, when we were talking about this. So obviously he's, you know, the bad guy, so it's a little bit not exactly the same as the story that we're talking about. But uh, I just wanted you guys to think about or visualize as God shows Joshua Jericho, Joshua could look at it as this is going to be impossible, right? How are we supposed to take this city Uh, that God shows him. So God presents, uh, you know, this problem to Joshua to begin with. That's not really a problem, obviously, for God. But uh, and then in verse two, we see God give a promise to Joshua. So he says, and the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And so it's easy to just read past that verse and maybe not really pay attention to exactly what's being said. But God tells him, see, I have given. Okay, so when God says he has given into his hand, it's not that he doesn't say, I am going to give you into your hand, this city and this king and this mighty man of valor. He says that he already has done it. Okay, and we've talked about this over the, you know, we talk about it every once in a while, how God exists outside of time, right? God doesn't uh, perceive time the same, that, the same way that we do. So when God looks at something and he says, I have given them into your hand, as far as God's concerned, it's already happened, right? God, God is outside of time. And so from Joshua's perspective, it hasn't happened yet, right? But God is saying, I've already given them to you. Like it, it is going to happen. When God gives a promise like that, when God says something is going to happen, uh, it's going to happen exactly the way he said it. And we'll see it again in a couple of verses um, where it happens again that way. But uh, when God gives a promise, though, then it's going to happen the way that God said it's going to happen. Because for God, it already has happened. And then in verse 3, God starts to lay out the plan. So we see the problem, the promise, and then he lays out the plan. So in verse 3, he starts telling them how they're going to do it, right? You're going to, okay, you're going to get everyone. You're going to get the trumpets. You're going to get the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to get the people. You're going to walk around the city one time each day for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to do that same thing seven times, Okay. Um, a couple weeks ago, if you guys were paying attention, so a lot of what Pastor Brian has been preaching on Sundays, hopefully you guys have been noticing, it parallels a lot of what we're talking about, right? He's talking about what's going on in Exodus as the people are getting ready to leave the promised land. Um, and we're obviously talking about or the promised land, getting ready to leave Egypt. And we're talking about the other side of that 40 years of wilderness time. But there's a lot of parallels between what we're talking about and what Pastor Brian has been preaching on. Uh, but he, he looked at a story in Exodus chapter 17. Go back to Exodus chapter 17. I'm not going to redo this whole story because he just preached on it. It was either last week or the week before. I think it was the week before. 
Let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. What page is it on in the church Bible? Somebody's got a church Bible. Just what page is it on? 108. Or 109. Alright, it says in verse 8, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, okay, the same Joshua, uh, choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Okay, and then I'm going to read the rest of the story. But uh, you guys remember Pastor Brian talking about that? When Moses is holding his hands up, the Israelites are winning. And when his hands get too heavy and he puts them down, then the Amalekites start winning. Okay, Joshua was the leader that was fighting that battle. Okay, so this is, you know, 40-ish years before this. Joshua's been a soldier for a long time. Okay, I mean, he's not, he's not just leading the army of Israel in Exodus chapter 17. This is not his first battle, probably. Right? He's done some things. At least he's been obedient and could be trusted with this. Um, but this is more of like a conventional battle, but with a little bit of a twist. I mean, they're, they're still fighting, right? Like, like a normal battle is. But I want you guys to think about what it would have been like to be Joshua um, in, in Joshua chapter 6 when they're getting ready to go fight the battle of Jericho. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of times in his mind when he flashes back to this battle and he's, and he's fighting and he can look up and he can see when Moses is holding his hands up, we're winning. And when Moses' hands go down, we start losing. Okay, and then, and then uh, Aaron and Hur start holding up Moses' hands and so he can hold them up longer and uh, they end up winning that battle. But uh, I think one of the reasons that God did that was to prepare Joshua for this battle he's getting ready to fight. Right? That was a kind of an unconventional way to win a battle. Hey, hold your hands up and we're going to win. Put your hands down and we're going to lose. Okay, that's not a normal battle strategy, but it, it taught Joshua to like, okay, maybe God's ways are going to be a little bit different than the way that I think things are going to go or the way that things maybe should go or the way that other battles do go. But, I mean, when God says he's going to do something, then God's going to do that thing. And God says he's going to, he's already delivered the, the city of Jericho into our hands. Um, I'm going to trust that God's going to deliver it into our hands. Um, and so God starts to lay out this kind of interesting battle plan. Okay, I mean, if, if you were a soldier today and you'd been in battles before and you you know what you know what kind of military strategy it takes to win a battle uh you know what troops you have you're trying to lay out you know how are we gonna how are we gonna surround this city are we gonna all push on this one spot how are we gonna lay all this out and i'm sure joshua's thought through a lot of these things even as they were crossing the jordan river knowing that some of these battles were going to be coming um but joshua was he wasn't just like a you know he was he was a he was a military commander already, and so when God says this is how you're going to win, Joshua could have said, I just don't know if that's right, and maybe maybe Joshua questioned God. The Bible doesn't record that he did, uh, but when God starts saying, okay, you're going to get everybody, you're going to just walk around the city, don't talk, no one's going to say anything, everyone be quiet, we're going to walk around the city, and we're going to be blowing on trumpets every so often, you're going to have the Ark of the Covenant out there with you. You're going to do that just one time and then you're going to go back to camp for the night and then you're going to get up the next morning and you're going to do it again and you're going to do that all week long until the last day on the seventh day you're going to do that and you're going to do it seven times and then what you're going to do on the seventh time after you've finished your seventh lap the trumpets are going to blow and I want everyone to shout 
and the walls are just going to fall down. And then you're going to go in and fight like a normal battle, right? Um, I think that would be a really confusing thing as a military commander to hear God say, you're going to win it this way. You're going to walk around the city with all these people and the walls are just going to collapse, right? That's a, that's a really unconventional way to fight a battle. I mean, that's the only time in history that I'm aware of that a battle has been fought that way. And, uh, and so Joshua, I'm sure, was a little bit maybe um, confused or a little bit like, oh, man, I don't know. That sounds... I mean, can you imagine him trying to go then and explain it to the people, his other military leaders? Okay, guys, God already told us he's going to have this, right? You guys are on board with that? Yes, we know that. We saw God cross, you know, help us cross the Jordan River. Like, we're here to fight. We know all that. Okay, here's what we're going to do. None of you are going to fight. Okay, none of us are going to fight. We're just going to walk around the city quietly. Um, what? Joshua, why are we doing this? Trust me, we're going to do it. We're going to walk around the city and then we're going to go home. What? Aren't they going to come out after us when we go back to camp? Like, aren't we concerned about any of this? What, we're going to get close enough where we're in range of, I don't know what kind of weapons they had. I don't know if they had archers or if they had stuff they could throw over the walls. Like, we're going to get close enough where they could hit us with stuff and we're just going to walk around with all these people uh, we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna have any kind of strategy. And Joshua's like, no, this is God's strategy. We are gonna have a strategy. We're gonna do what God says. And who cares if it's like a weird, unconventional way of doing things? Ultimately, what matters is, can we win this battle? And if God tells us to do it this way, then yeah, we're gonna win this way. And um, and so for him to try to explain that to his to his leaders, and then the, then he's gotta go tell all the people, hey guys, this is what we're gonna do. Okay, and he has to lay it all out again. And uh, it's just, it's an unconventional way of doing things. And uh, yesterday we had a discipleship luncheon for all the disciples in the church. And there's a guy that's, he's preaching this morning. Uh, his name is Pastor Tom Gang. He's from Ohio. And he uh, taught two of the sessions at our uh, luncheon yesterday. And uh, he laid out kind of, he talked about kind of an interesting thing that um, the way that Jesus, the way that God chose to conquer the world, so to speak, with the gospel, how did God choose to do that? How did, how did God get the gospel to the world through his son, Jesus Christ? What did, what did Jesus Christ do? He spent the last three and a half years of his life doing what? What did Jesus do with this three and a half, the three and a half years of his ministry time on the earth? What did he do? Trained his disciples. Okay, Jesus spent three and a half years investing all day, every day, into 12 guys, okay? I mean, there was, you know, there was a bigger, you know, there's this group of 70 and there was, you know, a multitude that kind of followed in places. But Jesus' focus was 12 guys, okay? And one of those guys was Judas. He was, you know, he was uh, the devil. But, so he had 11 disciples that continued on. And then, and of course, in Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul comes along and uh, Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. So he ended up with 12, you know, the 11 that stayed plus Paul. But Jesus took... Everything the God of the universe could have gone with any plan to reach the world with the gospel. He could have used tons of different methods, right? He took this path of, I'm going to invest everything I've got into 12 people, and I'm going to trust that those 12 people are going to get it, going to get the work done. They're going to spread the gospel everywhere. Okay. And every single one of us, if you are saved today, you could, if you, you know, had access to, you know, God's wealth of information, you could trace your genealogy, your spiritual genealogy, back to one of those 12 guys, right? So my my dad led me to the Lord um, when I was 12 years old. 
Um, there's a guy in our church, some of you guys might know, Royal Sloggenbush. Uh, if you guys were, how many of you guys were at Kings Mighty Men last year? Last you were there. You weren't there. Yeah. Okay, so you guys remember Royal, the guy that did the songs with us down here by the thing? Elias, you remember Royal? He did the songs down here. He sang the songs for us. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anyways, Royal Sloggenbush, he goes to this church. Um, but he's the one that led my dad to the Lord back in the early 90s. Okay, I don't know who led Royal Sloggenbush to the Lord or who led that person to the Lord. But if we could trace all the way back, who led Royal? Who led that person? Who led that person? I mean, it may be hundreds, maybe even thousands of people we'd have to trace it back to. But somewhere, if we kept going back, would be the Apostle Paul or would be John or be Peter or be somebody who shared the gospel with somebody who got saved, who shared the gospel with somebody. And we could trace it all the way back, uh, all the way forward, I mean, to me, to you. If you're saved, you could trace it all the way back to one of those 12 guys. So if you think about that, like, the God of the universe in his infinite wisdom decided that the best way to get the gospel everywhere that it needed to go was to invest in 12 guys, 12 just regular blue collar people, and then just trust that these guys are going to be faithful, that they're going to do what they're supposed to, that they're going to spread the word of God. And they did like, I mean, 2000 years later, here we are. We have a church in Harrisonville with a few hundred people here. Um, and there's churches all over the world, all over the country that all come from one of those 12 guys or maybe multiple of those 12 guys. But God worked in an unconventional way. That would not be if I could sit down and come up with the best method to reach the world with the gospel, I probably wouldn't come up with that method, right? That's kind of an unconventional way of doing things. Why put all your eggs in these, this one basket of 12 guys? What if these guys decided not to be faithful? What if these guys decided not to do what they were supposed to do? What if more of them were like Judas then weren't like Judas, right? Isn't that going to, I mean, you're putting a lot of trust in 12 fishermen, tax collector, blue collar guys. Like, why are you putting all of your, I mean, if none of them did what they were supposed to, the gospel would have stopped right then, right? So why did God do it that way? God does a lot of things in an uncom, like, uh, you know, man's wisdom would say that's a weird, unconventional way of doing that. Walking around a city, hoping that the walls fall down is an unconventional way to fight a battle. Um, but none of that really matters, right? I mean, God does things. He has always done things unconventionally. And, uh, if, if, if we have a faithful man, Joshua was a faithful man. If we have, if God can invest into someone that's faithful, that person is, if they can put their trust and their faith in God, it, they're going to be able to get it done. Okay. Go back and look at verse five, back in Joshua chapter six, it says, and it shall come to pass. Okay, we've talked about that phrase uh, a couple other times when we've been studying the book of Joshua. And it shall come to pass. What does What is that? What is that phrase? And it shall come to pass. Huh? That's what he said, yeah. It's a prophecy, right? God's saying, this is what is going to happen. Okay? When God says, and it shall come to pass... He is prophesying. And I've told you guys before, some prophecies in the Bible were of, you know, like in the Old Testament, they would prophesy and say, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem, you know, and they would, you know, are going to call his name Emmanuel. Like there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ, you know, that was born hundreds of years later. Okay. So some, some prophecies in the Bible are, take hundreds of years to come to, to fruition. Some prophecies in the Bible in the Old Testament 
are talking about the second coming of Christ, which hasn't even happened yet. Those are like 3,000 years in the making, and we still haven't seen those uh, come to fruition. Some things, think about Noah. When God told Noah, hey, it's going to rain a lot. You better build a boat. Noah had, I can't remember how many years it is, 40 years or something like that to build this ark, right? Uh, that prophecy took several years, a few decades to come to fruition. But what happened? It rained. Noah had a boat. Good thing he did because his family was saved because of it. Um, so some prophecies, they take, you know, some are, some are days, some are weeks, some are months, some are years, some are thousands of years. But when God says something's going to happen, it always happens exactly the way that he says it's going to happen. So when he says in verse 5, and it shall come to pass, and then he goes on to say that, that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Okay, so he's telling him, this is what's going to happen. Okay, and then look at verse 8. How's that verse start out? And it came to pass... Okay, so it sounds like, okay, here's the fulfillment of that. But actually, that's not the fulfillment of it. It says, and it came to pass when Joshua had spoken. So in verse 5 is God telling Joshua, here's what is going to happen. And then in verse 8, Joshua is telling the people, this is what's going to happen. Okay, but what I want, the reason I'm pointing that out, that, that particular phrase in that verse, is the people of Israel obeyed based on the prophecy. They trusted that what God said in verse 5, and it's going to come to pass, we're going to put our faith and all of our eggs in that basket. If we walk up to the walls of the city of Jericho with all of our people and we are just walking in circles around their city and they choose to look over the edge of their walls and start sniping us with arrows or throwing big rocks over the wall or whatever, uh, that's going to be really bad for us. But we're going to put all of our eggs in the basket that God has this. And if God tells us we're supposed to walk around and blow on trumpets and carry the Ark of the Covenant and not talk, but then that's what we're going to do. And the last day we're going to do that seven times and we're going to see what happens. But we're going to put our faith and we're going to obey what God says based on the prophecy. So the, it uses that phrase and it came to pass because it's coming to pass that Israel is obeying what God has told them to do. And then we didn't read it because uh, we stopped at verse 16. But if you look all the way down to verse 20, which we'll get into next week, it says, So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpet and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Okay, so this prophecy came to pass in seven days, right? God tells them on the first day, they walk around seven days and this, or six days. And then the seventh day, the walls fall flat, just like God said, it's going to come to pass. Uh, it came to pass. Okay, this this prophecy was a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, if, if God could promise me something and then a week later that promise comes to fruition, that's going to give me some more faith as I go forward into whatever the next thing I'm supposed to do for God is, right? They were going to go from this battle straight into another battle and they're going to be battling for a long time. And so for God to come through and deliver on his prophecy should give them a lot of confidence and a lot of faith and a lot of um you know, maybe excitement moving forward. Okay, God has done exactly what he said he was going to do every single step of the way. We can put our faith in him. And every time we put a little bit of faith in him, he comes through. When God says we're going to walk across the Jordan on the dry, on dry ground, and then we do that, God's, put, you know, God's building up uh, our faith. We can put a little bit more trust in him. This time, they had to put their lives on the line. They literally had to get within range of the enemy 
in order to put their faith in what God said, and God comes through. The walls fall down. It comes to pass, just like He said it was going to. And so every step of the way, the more the more uh, faith and trust that they put into what God was telling them, the more confidence and the more faith that builds. And uh, it's just the same way with us. If we can put our faith and trust in what God said, then if we do that with the little things, right? God said I should read my Bible every day. Okay? And we do that. We're faithful with the little things. God's going to come through. God's going to show us things like He promises that He will. If we spend time praying and we ask God for something, God's faithful to hear those prayers. He may not always give us exactly what we're asking for, but God's going to hear the prayers. God's going to come through and, and show Himself uh, to us. Right? If, if we are faithful in the little things, the little steps along the way, God's going to continue to build that faith. Nobody, God, God's never asking anybody you know, at age 10 to go to the mission field and be a missionary, right? I mean, maybe they follow their parents on the mission field, but like God's not asking children to like uproot and move across the world and do something, you know, miraculous for him. But he might ask that 10 year old, you know, put that like that seed in their heart that, Hey, I want you to share the gospel with your friend. I want you to invite your friend to church. I want you to invite your friend to a youth event. I want you to XYZ, I want you to read your Bible. Start learning the Bible. I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to get discipled. I want you to go to Bible Institute. I want you to whatever, whatever, whatever. Like there's going to be steps along the way, just like there is in our physical life. Like you don't just finish kindergarten and skip straight to college, right? You got to go through the steps. You got to go, you got to learn along the way. You got to learn the little things uh, before God's going to ask you, um, you know, for bigger things. And so the, the nation of Israel, God had been building their faith along the way with little things until now, uh, you know, now is kind of the moment that they've been building for, for the last 40 years. All of these people who are alive are 40 years old or younger, or I guess they're 60 years old or younger because they were 20 years old or younger whenever they entered into the wilderness. So, but this is like a new generation of people and God's kind of been building them up over the course of the last 40 years. And this is kind of the, the apex of, of what he's been building them to this whole time. And, uh, and so God uses this unconventional, this, I mean, if this was a normal battle, if they just went in like a normal attack, would we even be talking about this today? Would it even be recorded in the Bible for us? Not a lot of battles in the Bible are recorded uh, in the book of Joshua, especially there's not a lot of specific battles that are recorded, but people talk about this battle of Jericho. I mean, this battle happened like 4,000 years ago and we still talk about it because it's crazy how God did this. It, why, why in the world did he do it the way he did it? I don't know exactly, but we got to put our faith in, in what God says, even when it kind of seems like this is a little bit of a weird way to do this. This is not how I would have thought to do this. Um, but, you know, when God tells us to do something, when he says it's going to happen, um, we got to put our faith in, what, in the fact that it's going to happen the way he said it was going to. So that's it for today. And look at that, 1013. Huh? I mean, 10:15 is when we're supposed to be done, so it's 10:13. So we're we're on time, and I'm gonna pray, and then we'll be out here exactly on time. All right, dear Lord God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for um, God. Just uh, this story on on the Battle of Jericho, and God, what a what a odd way uh, to fight a military battle, but. Uh, God, the, the end result is exactly what uh, the people of Israel wanted. God, it was a victory. And I uh, just I thank you, God, for just the ways that you do work unconventionally. God, I thank you that uh, I mean, if you were using uh, 
man's wisdom and you were using the, the ways that we would think things would be done, God, you would use the best and the brightest. And God, I'm not the best and the brightest. And I thank you that you don't only use those people. I thank you that you do things unconventionally. God, you use people who are flawed. You use um, imperfect people to do things. And uh, God, I just thank you that you, you do that. I thank you that you um, put us in, in charge or in trust of your, your word. God, I pray that uh, we would not take that responsibility lightly. I pray that you help us to be good stewards of our time, God, that we would um, actually spend time in your word and, and learn the things that you want us to learn, God, at the, the age that we are now so that we can have uh, a little bit more faith in the next uh, you know obstacle that gets presented to us and a little bit more faith the time after that. And God, I pray that you would just continue to, to grow all of us, God. We never, we never stop growing and never stop learning. And I just pray that you would continue to um, just use this class, God, use this church, uh, use these these kids and their parents, God, to just continue to grow and learn more about you, and God, that they would uh, build up their faith, and that God, when you do ask them to do something that that seems unbelievable or that seems impossible, God, that um, that you would just show yourself faithful to them, and um, God, I just thank you for uh, Pastor Tom Gang, who's here today from Ohio. I pray God that you would just bless him as he gets ready to preach to us, and. Um, God, just help everyone to be listening and paying attention and um, God, just engaged in uh, the word that he's bringing us today. I think he's going to continue talking about discipleship and the importance of that and being disciples and making disciples. And so I thank you, God, for a church that cares about those things and uh, and a preacher who's going to charge us to do those things. And so I just ask your blessing on the rest of our day today. In Jesus' name, amen.